It's quite a, a psalm we sing about that man is blessed and what will happen for him and his posterity to the one who follows the Lord. And Now that is certainly true of us, that is certainly true of God's people, that we can expect that blessing in, in following the Lord to, to certain degrees. But we also need to understand that the truly blessed man, the one truly blessed in that perfect righteousness is our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his righteousness, it's that that we receive. What a blessing to know that we have that righteousness in Christ, that we are then the people of God truly blessed in Christ himself. Our scripture reading this evening is Exodus 20:15. You don't need to really turn there. It is just the commandment that we are looking at, that thou shalt not steal. So I would ask you instead to turn to Ecclesiastes 5, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 through 12, and that's found on page 707, or 706, it begins, of your pew Bibles. We will also be looking in connection to this commandment, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, turning to Lord's Day 42 in your forms and prayers book, found on page 249. 249, Lord's Day 42. Before we read God's word, let's ask for his blessing in prayer. Lord God, we come before your word and specifically before your law and a command, the command you give, thou shalt not steal. Father, we pray that as we probe the depths of what this means, we would be reminded once again of the purpose of the law, that not only is it a, a way in which we see sin restrained, and not only is it a device that teaches us of our need for Jesus Christ, but it is, well, the, the, God, the rule by which we govern our life out of gratitude for you. And may we then pay full attention to it and give to it what it is due, that significant obedience May we become masters in obedience to all the law, and in this commandment, help us to delve this evening and see your face reflected in this law. We ask this in your name. Amen. Ecclesiastes 5, we read in verses 10 through 12, what money really is, what it does, what it, what it does it provide, beginning in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This ends the reading of God's word this evening, and we, we turned to there and, and place our attention there as at the center of theft lies a, a love of, of goods, a love of, yes, of money, but of other things, a desire to gain what can't be given truly. Lord's Day 42 gives us a summary of what God's word teaches about the Eighth Commandment. It asks, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbors goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed, 
and pointless squandering of his gifts. Question 111, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. People of God, in the United States, property crime is much more common than violent crime, and by far the most common form of property crime is theft. One online resource I came across said that stores lost $112 billion to retail theft in 2022, shoplifting losses grew almost 20% year over year, stores catch shoplifters roughly 2% of the time, and the average shoplifter is arrested once out of every 100 incidents. You see, theft is not new nor is theft outside of the picture. Theft is as very real and present today as it has ever been. And even with the advancements in technology, it seems as if there's only new and and more innovative ways about carrying out theft, about stealing, about taking what is not yours to take. The Catechism here follows its typical approach. It, it gives the law in two ways. It shows the negative. It shows how we would break this commandment. It shows what God is calling us not to do, prohibited behavior. And then it shows the positive side of what is its intent. How are we to keep it? Theft is at the center of, of many people's lives. So it's interesting that everyone, mostly, would call theft wrong, but as well, it seems, if, it's can be, if you can get away with it, why not do it? It seems many say. A, a acknowledgement that, no, it's not actually right to take what doesn't belong to you, but why not if it betters yourself? Why not jump in with the mob and go in the store and take what no one's going to come and punish you for? And it's always a good practice to ask the question, why is it wrong? Truly, why is it wrong? And, and, and to realize that the world doesn't have an answer for that. Why shouldn't you take someone's property? Why shouldn't you take what doesn't belong to you? Why should you have to work for what you receive? Now, if you take God out of the, out of the picture, morality is gone. Take God out of the picture, the answer is, well, there is no answer to that. There's no purpose. There's no reason to not. In fact, if you take God out of the picture you should probably go out and steal and get what you can because you could make your life a little bit better. But see, it's God, it's his law that restrains it. And it's even that natural law written on man's heart to, to realize that it's wrong, but even an understanding of its, of its sin, even understanding that it's not right, isn't enough to keep man's sinful heart from doing it, from stealing as the Catechism unwraps both the positive and the negative, I want to actually begin, before we get to that, and we will, with a, a different picture. A different picture from even what these statistics show, and that is a picture of God himself. A picture of God that stands behind this commandment. And I hope as we go through shows just how truly horrible, how truly sinful such a thing like theft is. How it really flies in the face and is contrary to God himself. We have a giving God, a very giving God. But as we have said, just understanding that isn't enough to keep one from sin. 
I find it fascinating that at the earliest of ages, right out of the womb, as soon as we can grab something as, as humans, we are thieves. I can guarantee you right now in the nursery, there's a bunch of robbers and a bunch of robberies going on. As we can crawl and walk, we see, ooh, I want that. And as soon as kids can, they're taking it from each other. We steal out of a greedy heart, out of a want. And, and you, you, you get to see it, and, and you get to really see your own heart reflected in your kids, as, as parents know, in, in wondrous ways, as, as you get to see them not care about what they never use and never play with until someone else has it. And then it's the most prized possession. It's what you want. While we, or the sinful man, really never grows out of that, that, that desire is always there, maybe by force of will, You won't always reach out your hand and take, but the desire is there because we're fallen. Because we're, and especially more truly outside of Christ, this is what it's speaking to, fully wicked. It's a bad, ugly picture. You know, it's a glorious picture. God. The reason theft is wrong the reason we have that morality present there, and the reason we can give an answer to the world that can't actually answer why is it wrong to steal, is because God has called it wrong. Because it violates his will. Because it goes against goodness, and he provides us a standard of what is right. The picture of God is a glorious picture. God, by nature, is a loving God, which means he's a giving God. A God who gives. A God who, if we could put it in human terms, any thought, the very idea of taking what wouldn't be his, an impossibility, but just flow with the logic, the very idea with taking something that's not his is antithetical to who he is. He could never have that thought. The very God whose predisposition is to give of himself, to be a giver, to give bountifully, to desire to give. Not only do we see this in the persons of the Trinity eternally, as there is that that loving, sharing, giving in their personhood, in God's personhood. He didn't need to create to be a giving God, in other words. He didn't need to create to be a loving God. He has that personally in himself. He's not lacking that. And yet, by his wise and good pleasure, created others that he could pour himself to bountifully. Creating a perfect world, a world that he himself called good. There are those we come across, even people, and they do this in an imperfect way, but we have sayings, you know, that guy, he'll give you the shirt off his back. It's, it's like those who are just so generous. It doesn't matter what recourse is for them. It doesn't matter that they might be affected by it, that they now can't use their, their resources or funds or time for themselves, but it's like they don't even care. Now that's an imperfect representation of God. Here's what can blow your mind. God, the all-powerful, almighty being, eternally existent, created a world in which the one who would give the most would be God himself, and that wasn't just in creating it. And it wasn't just for providing for it. He created a situation in which he would give of himself self-sacrificially. It's one of those glorious mysteries of the gospel. 
that a, a God who, is, who has all the resources of the world would have planned it in such a way that he would give everything he, he could give. That God would give everything he could give. And you say, well, how can he do that? To give himself. You see, the, the truest example of our God who is so far removed from theft, from taking, and showing, showing what is the opposite of love to someone, the very extent answer that we have in God is Christ himself. Giving of himself in that way, giving himself as a, a gift, he is the clearest example. In fact, it's evident from Scripture that God's pleasure Truly what he desires is to give good gifts. To give good gifts, and God is good. What a giving God we have. I heard it, I heard it said this way, God would have already given us everything if we were able to handle it. God would have already given us everything if we were able to handle it. Now, I'm not quite sure that that's completely true. I don't think you could actually answer that question necessarily, but I do think it reflects a true picture of our God, who is so giving, who is so giving that he, he doesn't withhold goodness. And in fact, everything that he would give to his people is, in fact, good. And you could even describe it as the goodness that he would give to all men. Not that he it does it in the same way to unbelievers, but the grace that he showers on this world itself, the rain that falls on the just and the unjust. God is good. God is gracious. God gives good gifts. He is that giving God that Christ shows. Now you would think, but, but why would God do that? Again, let's entertain another illogical thought and impossibility. Let's pretend we could be God. Let's pretend we could create the world. Would you have created the world and planned it so that you would be the one who would give the most? Who would, in your son, take the greatest sacrifice and the greatest pain to give to your people? Is, is that the way you would have planned it? It's not the way I would have. If you think of yourself as, as having the very power of God, wouldn't maybe this just shows the selfishness of my heart, my heart? You'd create a world where everyone would be giving to you. It would be it'd be great, and everyone would be just giving what you want. It would be a receiving of these lowly creatures that you created. But that's that's not just what God has done. Yes, we're called to give praise. Yes, we're called to serve, and we do give to God in that way. He gives far, far more to us than we could return to him. He is always giving beyond what will ever be repaid back. And so as outlandish as it might seem, but we can also realize on the other hand, it, isn't it also so fitting? Let's take that example of parents yet again. Isn't it fitting that parents give to their children, give more to their children than they would ever receive from them? And, and not expect something in return. It's just not part of the job. It's, it's not part of the, the, the situation that your kids would end up providing for, for you, even though they will, but, but not to the extent that you had and, and do. And God is our Father. Isn't it fitting that he would take that role upon himself because he's a good, glorious God? 
For sinful parents like us, we can get aggravated at this even at times. We, uh, we experience this, you know, in the morning you go to, to wake up your kids or they're awake already and, and kids are never more cute than what they are in the morning in their disheveled hair and PJs and, and then they wake up and they're so very cute and yet it doesn't take long to realize they are also so very sinful. And, and usually what is the first types of things out of the mouth is, I want, I need, can I have, can I watch, can I do this, can I... And it's a bunch of, of demands. And, and for us, uh, sinful parents, it can get a little aggravating. It can get aggravating when you hear that. And, and you just want to be like, well, would you just stop asking? Would you just stop demanding? That's, that's the heart of a fallible parent. And you know, we might almost think that that's what it's like to God. Because every morning, what do we do? God, I, I need. I need daily bread. I need daily strength. I need your grace. I need, I need to fight against the, these temptations. I need to be more thankful. I need, I need, I need. And, and, and it's, it's almost to the point where we, we can think, God won't hear us because we're just always needing more. Can we exhaust the grace of God that would be willing to give? And the answer is no. Not just that God doesn't get aggravated. It's his pleasure to give of himself to his people. It's his great pleasure to give of himself. We are not angering God when every morning we say, Dad, can you feed me and clothe me and protect me and help me walk faithfully and help me love you more? With this behind us, the, the, the picture, why are we spending so much time on this? Because when you set that image up of who God is, now you get what's behind that command, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not take what's not yours. Thou shalt not abuse someone else and show, and show no love to them and no respect for them or their property. That's what's behind it, a giving God. A God so gloriously giving. And it's in that that we get to see man's greedy heart. And that's our second point this evening. Man's greedy heart, forbidden behavior. This is that negative side. Question and answer 110 of the Catechism explains it very well. It's very easy to understand. You don't need to put a lot of thought into it to see what's forbidden by this commandment and the many ways in which we do break it. All these ways in which we steal and rob, and it's not just the shoplifting we, we began with. It's not just the outright theft. It's, it's the ways and subtle ways we break it. Have we tricked someone to get what we wanted? Did we sell that beat-up car honorably and in an honorable way? Or were we really crossing our fingers, hoping that it would just make it around the block until the test drive was over, so that as they drove off, it was their problem, and it could break down then, but just not before we sold it? Meaning, were we being honest? Were we, were we treating this buyer of how, the way we would like to be treated? Do we do that in all the, the things that we come in contact with? Clearly, in business, it's necessary to sell. We don't need to talk someone out of buying, but we can be a good salesman without being lying or dishonest. There is a difference between drawing attention to something that's not significant, that's not a big issue, versus treating someone in a way that if you were to have bought or received something from them in this manner and in that way, you'd be very upset. 
Do we treat others the way we would have them treat us? In everything we do, are we honest? Are we honest in how we farm and how we sell and how we, and how we put electric in a house and how we do plumbing and how we manage accounts and whatever we do, are we honest? Because there are so many ways in which we could steal. Boys and girls, have you used even your, your greater age to misuse your siblings? You know, you can do that in many ways. You're, you're older, you're more clever. We could probably say you're, you're, more, you're a bit more cunning, right? And so you can probably get what your sibling has and, and, and trick them out of it. That's an easy way of doing it. Stealing. Stealing because you're using a, a greater amount of understanding for your advantage to disadvantage them. I mean, this goes on in every, every home. The best seats in the car... Assuming you have assigned seats, I don't know why you wouldn't. It's the way to go, right? It's, it's the, the way you can function in a home. My brother and I laugh about this. We, we were once setting up our room. I'm the youngest, so you could take advantage pretty easily. And uh, we were setting up our room, and there was two desks. And, and one was a legitimate desk, and the other thing was really just like a bookshelf that was about to fall apart. And we were deciding who would get what. And my brother, I, I remember to this day, went on an amazing sales pitch and told me, oh, well, yeah, but this one, it's sitting by the window. You have a better view. You can, you can sit there and enjoy this desk. This is a much better desk. Take this desk. And Yeah, and... You're like, yeah, that sounds great. Subtle ways in which we can, we can do those things. Steal all the time, but I, even in these examples of young boys and girls or even adolescents to high school, I wonder what, I wonder what truly is the, the God-like response. Is it to use your greater age, stature, understanding, whatever, to, to get what you want, or would it be to put yourself in a position that was more sacrificial for your sibling that didn't know any better. Now that's when you start kind of, your eyes go big and you realize, wow, a Christ-like giving, that's a lot. That, that's, how you, that's how you give. That's how you keep from stealing. What about our time? Clear examples come to mind. Are you taking sick time when you shouldn't? You know, the list is endless. We're just naming these so we're aware of them. Do you add hours here and there that you didn't work? Are we stealing even the way we go about our business? Are we having that conversation with our coworker that has nothing to do with business and you kind of, sort of, are just trying to lengthen it because you're, you don't want to go back to work? And we can say to ourselves, Theft! There's no way we can perfectly keep this, or that we have perfectly kept this. We steal all the time. Our righteousness doesn't exist before God if we're, if we're left to the law to provide it, if we're left to our law-keeping to perfectly put us before Lord as, and to be clean. We can't do it. Catechism talks about greed. What about greed? It also talks about pointless squandering of gifts. If we have gifts to, to bless others and don't use them, we've stolen. Let me put it this way. If we have gifts that could be used to bless the church but don't, we are stealing from God and our neighbor. How so? Because you pointlessly squandered what God had given you and given it to you with the intent that you would be like him and give and live and use it for others makes us all thieves. 
The issue of gambling comes up in that, and greed. The very idea around gambling is a pointless squandering. It doesn't do what it says. It's not the way God designed through work. It, at its center is greed and a desire to get rich quick. It's what we see in Ecclesiastes. It's this desire for wealth. And you'll go at it with all abandon, reckless abandon. Praise generally on those who are the, the downcast of the world, steals from those who have nothing to give. That's the whole system. Greed is in each of our hearts. Greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Pretty, pretty soon what we end up doing is we, we lust after something. We want something and we think of any way in which to get it. And that means theft. Again, it doesn't need to be that you walked into the store and just took it off the shelf. But maybe you, you went about ways to get it that you shouldn't have. Maybe in order to get it, you sacrificed the gifts you should have been using elsewhere and stole from God. As one pastor says, violating this commandment stems from a basic displeasure with God's providence. I like that. I think that explains it well. Violating this commandment stems from a basic displeasure with God's providence, a, a basic displeasure of what God has called you to have and what you have been given, and you say, God, that's not enough. I want this. And I'll, and I'll go and get it, whatever means are necessary. None of this is to say wealth is wrong. In fact, following God's word, following God's principles, often leads to a bountiful life, a life that is richly blessed. But it's not the goal. And even that wealth that is received is meant to be used, it's meant to be given. The words from our text show us the satisfaction wealth can give and, and what the preacher of Ecclesiastes would say is that money and wealth and goods and things of the world in and of themselves, they will not satisfy. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? You see what he's saying? What advantage is it to the one who desires and goes after and achieves all this wealth and gets it? He just sees them with his eyes, but his life is so devoted to the pursuit of these things, they never can offer any benefit. They can never offer any satisfaction because only God can. And then verse 12, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Even the bounty that, that can be received through legitimate or illegitimate means will not satisfy. So we see the man's greedy heart. We see man's greedy heart. Well, what's the answer to that? It's that giving God. Is that giving God? As we see, we have broken this commandment and continue to break it. Where is our answer? Well, it's in the God who's already given the answer. And just imagine Jesus' life as he walked this earth, as we've tried to expand on the meaning of what even just theft, just do not steal means, that he didn't violate that in any single way. Meaning he, he never used one second of his time incorrectly meaning he used all of his gifts to the full extent in the right way that he was supposed to do. Meaning, though he saw this morning, he had nowhere to lay his head. He never took what was not his. 
lived perfectly. And it's that answer that gives us now our example and what we are called to be, which is a giving church. That's our final point, a giving church. What does God require of you in this commandment? That's what 111, question answer 111 asks and says, that I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. And you know what that description is? It's just a description of who Christ is in this way. Because every one of those things is what he did and what we are called to do. It's not enough to think we keep this command by restraining what we might do that is wrong. If we are going to imitate Christ, if we are going to in some way resemble the picture of the giving God who has given so much to us, we are called to keep this law, the positive, to fully keep it. To see how we might give and give of ourselves, even to give self-sacrificially. We work not just to provide ourselves and our families, but to give to others. It has been the testimony of many saints that as they gave in this way, more and more was added to them. Certainly not always is that meaning you will receive more money by doing that, but that they received in greater measure than what they gave in the first place. But they found that there was a greater blessing, that there was a greater reward, there was greater worth, not in taking, but being like God and giving. How do we begin to cultivate this? Well, it's, it's how we began. Look at your giving God. Look at him and what he's given. To understand that everything in truth isn't ours. What does Psalm 50, 10 through 12 say? For every beast of the forest is mine, God says, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. It all belongs to God anyways. It's all his. He loans it to us. He lets us use it. But it is his to give, which means we better be using it as the giving God would have us use it. Let me put it this way to boys and girls. Every time you say, this is mine, this is whatever it is, my toy, correct yourself, correct your mind, and realize, no, it's God's. It's God's, and so are you using it the way God would want you to use that toy? And the exact same application applies to all of us here. Are we using the money he's given us for him in that way we should? Are we responsibly using our wealth and what he's given, our bounty, in a way that would reflect the fact that this is truly God's and and we understand that we are to be like him and to give This is the key to helping us treat others as we would have them treat us. I don't think we realize how much we look like Christ than when we're giving. Giving of all that we have. Is there a, a greater way to imitate Christ himself than to give? And let's add it to even give give self-sacrificially because you're not just keeping this commandment if this is the manner in which you give or, or, or the manner in which you tithe. If you think, all right, I will scrape whatever this percentage is. I will scrape the 10% for God. I will give it to the church, but this is mine. And we, we pull it in and this is mine to use. Well, that violates the commandment too, even though you are giving. 
Because at the heart of this isn't so much the amount given, but the heart that desires to give. Which is why you can give billions and break this commandment, or you could give pennies and be keeping it. To give of what God has given you. Brothers and sisters, how is your, how's your giving? It's, it's directly where the catechism would, would bring us as well. Not, not only do not steal and take what isn't yours, but are you taking what is yours and sending it away and giving to others, giving to the church? Are you faithful? Are you faithful in your giving? For some, you're just starting out, and it's hard. There's, there's bills, they pile up, but are you establishing that even now, that, that right practice, that it would be a sincere giving, that you would be taking that and, and giving to, to God, giving to his people? That burden is yours to bear, and you, you have, and, and hear this, you have no right to say no kind of ties into what we talked about this morning. If you're truly following Jesus, and the, the words better never leave your mouth, that this is mine and I will use it all for what I desire. Use it well. Use it as, as Christ uses all that he has to give. Does your work in giving reflect the right and mature understanding of God's word and God's world that you're not just working for yourself, you're not just working to gain what you might and that next, that next thing you desire? Establish this in your heart. Think of it this way. God could have easily dropped gold, money, and jewels on the church so that we never would have needed anything. We never would have needed anyone to give, but you've been given a privilege. A great privilege to take what has no intrinsic value in wealth and the things of the world and give it to the kingdom where there is eternal value. All the resources of the world are at God's disposal, but he was gracious enough to tell God's, to tell his people, you invest in this kingdom. You take ownership of it. You take your heart and give. And give as I have given you. It's a privilege. One pastor illustrated it well. We often tend to, to live this like, like, life like it's a Monopoly game. You take out that board game, you set out the, the board, and the whole purpose is to get all of the monies, to get all the wealth, to, big, to build all the hotels, to, to own everything you can. That's the point of the game, and we often live our life like it, but what we fail to realize is that when the game ends, or when life ends, what happens? That money is worthless, and you take the board and all the money and you dump it back into the box and it had no value. And as grand a hotel as you can build on Park Place and Boardwalk mean nothing. And that's the way we often live life. And we need to realize the things of this world, not only is it just don't take what isn't yours, don't be greedy, but give of it. We can give what is insignificant to what is very significant. It's never insignificant in a Christian life to reflect Christ and a true faith. And a true faith is one that, that doesn't steal, but gives. And gives all that we can and have to offer. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the instruction we receive from your word, but it isn't a static, sterile instruction. We see a picture of you.
we see a glorious picture of a God who gives and asks and calls his people to do the same. And, and may we have such hearts. We pray for wisdom. We, we need wisdom in how we manage lives, how we manage finances. But we pray especially for a heart that would seek to give rather than just to receive. May we not squander our, the gifts you've given us, but use it for the service and enrichment of others. In that way, may we reveal our, our faith, our faith that loves our Lord and will imitate him in all that he has done. We ask this in your name. Amen.